being here. I want to just introduce myself, tell you a little bit about who I am and why I'm passionate about this topic. Uh, my name is Dave McGovern. Uh, for the last 12 years, I have been working as a family pastor, uh, partnering with parents, but especially middle school and high school students. And uh, I'm so passionate about being an advocate for students, uh, even though much of my journey has been in the church setting. I've partnered uh, with Christian schools to do chapels and to think through uh, different formation elements. And so I'm excited uh, to talk about that uh, today. I want to start, though, by reading a quote. It's from Mike Cosper from his book, Recapturing the Wonder. It says this, There exists a gap between knowing and knowing how. Between what I knew I could say about my faith and what I could do with it. At the time, my faith felt like a boxed-in corner of my life, separate and distinct from the rest of it. Practicing ministry in megachurches for 10 to 12 years, um, I read that quote a few years back, and uh, it really painted a picture where I felt like I was at. That I knew so much about Jesus. I gathered seminary degrees. I could talk about him. I knew how to talk about theological topics. Um, but I really wasn't putting it into practice as a pastor. And I was creating spaces for students that I was leading to just simply know a lot about Jesus. And this just sort of happened over time. But on May 4th of 2018, I got shook out of that. On May 14th of 2018 at 8 a.m., I had spent the night throwing up with an intense headache. And as I stepped into my bathroom to take a shower, to have some relief of just the pain that I was in, from about my chest down went completely numb, and I collapsed in my bathroom. Now, my wife always leaves at 7.50. But this day, she was there at 8. And I couldn't speak, really. So I just started kicking the wall. And she found me, and she got me to the hospital. And what had happened was that I had a ruptured brain aneurysm. And so at 33, for the first time in my life, I didn't know if I was going to live or die. And that shook me. So I go to the hospital. I wake up like a day later, and like friends and family that I haven't seen in years from Ann Arbor, that's where I'm from, are there. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> What are you doing here? And they're like, you're alive. And I'm like, what is happening? Because <laughs> I don't remember anything. I was like, yeah, passed out in, a base, in my bathroom. And now, like, friends from Ann Arbor are here. And it sent me on a journey where I spent 27 days in the ICU. And because of the brain bleeding and all the complications that go along with a ruptured brain aneurysm... I was on bed rest for like 90% of that time. It sounds exactly as fun as what you're imagining. <laughs> it was terrible. Not only was it the most painful thing 
like physical pain I've ever experienced. Um, it also shook me emotionally and spiritually. The first 14 days, I was so angry and confused. And I had a, a clenched fist around this situation. I was trying to understand what is going on, God? And I was full of anxiety. I was full of doubt. And then something happened about halfway through. I moved from a closed fist to simply finally surrendering and opening my hands to the situation. I said, all right, God, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. But, but you can have this situation. You can have my life. Because I shouldn't even be in the hospital bed. People with ruptured, ruptured brain aneurysms, about 50% die. Many of them don't make it to the hospital. And the ones that do make it to the hospital have some sort of ailment or deficit physically, cognitively, and I'm this. And so I just said, okay, you can have it. When you're on bed rest in the same hospital room, in the same place, you get copious amount of silence and solitude. It was incredible. At first, it wasn't. But around, once I surrendered, once I opened my hands to the situation, the, the space of the hospital room that was full of silence and solitude, I welcomed and invited the presence of God into it. And it changed everything for me. I can't, even talking about this here, because it's still pretty fresh, I can't give you like an actual explanation in, in detail of like how I experienced the awe and wonder and mystery of God in that hospital bed. All I know is that I opened myself up to the space of, of solitude, and it became a place where I encountered the presence of God. And it got me thinking, my hospital stay, of how I had spent my life in ministry and with students creating spaces and wasting time. When you almost die, and you see your three kids around the dinner table for the first time in a month, knowing you probably shouldn't be there, that dinner is the best meal you've had in your life. And so in the hospital, and when I was out of the hospital, I started thinking about how am I spending my time? And so much of my time was filled with distractions. Because I had a busy, stressful schedule with work, and I loved me time. And I wanted to distract myself from what I was actually happening, so I, I became really good at crushing Netflix. I could stream and binge watch with the best of them. I mentioned I'm from Ann Arbor. I love scrolling through the news feed about Michigan sports teams. Who does that? So stupid. Look at these recruits. This is fun. <laughs> but I spent hours doing that kind of stuff. I, cre- I, I invited distractions into this space, and all it really did was create a place of avoidance and not really looking at or being open to the presence of God. So working with students over the past 12 years, and I'm currently studying to, um, I'm going to receive a master's in counseling with an emphasis on adolescents and emerging adults. When I cycle through research, whether it's secular or Christian, here's the main words that researchers describe adolescents today. 
middle school and high schoolers. They're anxious, they're stressed, they're depressed, they're lonely, they're sleep deprived, and they're overscheduled. Sounds like a sweet treat. Adolescents, um, they fill their space of their life often with managing lofty expectations and pressure. They're constantly constantly trying to figure out how to perform and perform well. They need to perform in school. I need to get the right grade. I need to get a better grade. I need to get into college. Uh, they need to perform in theater and in band. They need to perform on the field because they want to just make the team or start or get a college scholarship. Uh, they need to perform with their friends because they desperately want to belong. They need to perform at church because at least where I'm from in West Michigan, you pretend like you have your stuff together. I need to know what to say on Sunday. I need to know what to say at youth group. They perform for their parents, secretly whispering in their head almost every day, I hope they're proud of me. And all of this, and this is on like a daily basis, and it gets sort of exhausting. And this space of performance, uh, they bring that into the presence of God. So I need to perform for God. I hope he loves me. Did I do enough for him this week? And then there's the sacred place of the cell phone. Mm -hmm. This is where the magic happens, where you really have to perform. Students are glued to their phones, not just as a distraction, but it's essentially a vending machine for either affirmation or devastation. They need to post the perfect picture because they're so tired of performing, they just want to belong, and they get a little heart on their Instagram. Ding! Ding! Every time it buzzes, it's an affirmation that, mm, someone, someone likes me. Someone loves me. Someone really likes the outfit that I have on. Someone really likes that picture of laughter at the bowling alley. It's so great. It's also a, a, a playground for devastation where someone doesn't like your photo. Or I'll share a story in a few of where you see a picture of all of your friends, but you're not there because you weren't invited. And so they turn, they turn to their phones. They're trying to perform. And this space of performance, pressure, and expectation creates a space of what researchers describe them as with anxiety, loneliness, stress, depression. You research just the reality that depression is on the rise in adolescence. Suicide ideation and even suicide attempt is on the rise. And so the, the life in the space of our middle school, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers is creating a place where these things are thriving. Loneliness is a real issue because you're basing 
sort of your belonging on a number of hearts on Instagram. And then adolescents are confused. They're like, I have all these followers, but I feel alone. I just read an article about loneliness in the culture of Japan. There is a company that is thriving for emerging adults around ages, you know, 18 to mid-20s, where you can rent a friend. (laughs) It's not a joke. They specialize in birthday parties, where you can rent groups of friends. And yes, it's nice for these individuals to have humans around them, but their whole strategy is to increase likes on your social media page by going to different spots and taking photos with friends because the CEO said people would rather appear to be experiencing joy and happiness than not experiencing it at all. Crazy. Coming to our high schools in 10 years. So this place of anxiety, loneliness, and stress, it, it makes our students constantly ask the question, am I enough? Am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I funny enough? And in my time working with students, normally the resounding answer in their heads that they don't share with anyone is, I am not enough. And the stories that we tell ourselves each and every day is the stories that we live into. And so when expectations don't meet reality, when their performances don't happen, they turn to distractions for just a piece of control. When all this is happening and when they're confused and they say, I'm not enough, play Fortnite. Build some stuff. Kill some people. At least you matter. At least you're achieving something. You're moving up in the game. You name it. Watch, watching Netflix, the distractions are just simply a way to control something when they're feeling all of these different things. Because when they look at their schedule, there's not a lot they can control. They can't just drop out of school. They have to go where their family's going. It's just just an ounce of control. And so it got me thinking in the hospital bed and after just the reality that our students face. Um... And it made me passionate about, in these moments, in these places of anxiety, stress, and loneliness, um, instead of turning to a distraction, what if we created spaces that became places where they receive the love and power of Jesus? How might we, as educators and people who are advocating for young adolescents, um, provide these types of spaces? Invite them into experiencing the presence of God. Because all I did in the hospital bed was open my hands. All I did was be open to the presence of God that was already there. And so for the rest of the time, we're going to collaborate and think about how do we help students move from performance to to presence? How do we help them stop thinking they need to perform in everything, including for God, and embrace his presence. And so a few quotes to illustrate this. The first one is from a book called Quiet by A.J. Sherrill. He says, 
every moment of every day, the most significant reality in the entire universe is the radical availability of God's presence. Yet in almost every moment of every day, we remain unaware of this generous gift. Read that one more time. Every moment of every day, the most significant reality in the entire universe is the radical availability of God's presence. Yet in almost every moment of every day, we remain unaware of this generous gift. Martin Laird describes a similar concept like this. Union with God is not something that needs to be acquired, but realized. He explains it like this. Perfect that we have the lettuce and kale plant here. Mm. A gardener does not grow plants. A gardener practices certain gardening skills that facilitate growth that is beyond the gardener's direct control. He practices certain skills to facilitate the growth of the plants. Or, if you live by Lake Michigan, like I do, a sailor cannot produce the necessary wind that moves the boat. A sailor practices the skills that harness the gift of wind that brings the sailor home. But there is nothing the sailor can do to make the wind blow. How might we create spaces and give students skills that allow them to engage and encounter the living presence of God that is already there? I think practices um, can be reimagined for students. Practices aren't something that they perform for God. It's a gift that they receive. Sabbath is not something they perform once every eight weeks on a weekend. It's something that they receive from God. Whatever practice comes to mind, helping them see they don't have to do that for God. Rather, surrender and receive it from God. So what I've been experimenting with and doing with our students and my youth group is providing a tool belt of practices where they can receive the presence of God. And I want to share a few with those, and I want to actually just do some of them with you. We're going to do the condensed version. Mm -hmm. I may have students do these for 10 or 15 minutes. You're going to get a crisp 15 seconds for the sake of time. (laughs) But hopefully it'll get you thinking when we engage this card of what it might look like in your own life, but with students to create space for them to encounter the awe and wonder of God. So the first thing we do when we're together is uh, we simply invite God into the space and we create that space. And so I invite all the students, I say, would you um, close your eyes, open your hands, and receive this truth. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still 
ಪ್ರಕೃತಿ Would you rest right now in just the reality that you can just be with God? I want to keep doing that, but we're going to, we pretty much start out every youth group gathering like that. Gives them a chance to put away distractions. and this place of messiness to just enter into space and fill it with that reality. Next we um I teach them how to slow their breathing down. It's called diaphragm breathing. Maybe some of you have practiced this or know it. But essentially what I do with a student is I I have them put their one hand on their chest and one hand right on their stomach underneath their rib cage. And I tell them when you when you blow out it's like blowing out a candle. And I have them sit for a second and I say, "Okay, take a deep breath in and this hand when you breathe in should expand your stomach, your diaphragm." And so I say, "Let's just do let's just do a little bit of breathing." So we inhale and our our belly should come out. And then we blow out the candle. And it takes a second for them to get the hang of that which slows their mind down from whatever they're preoccupied with. And then as they do that I select a psalm or a prayer that I I read over them. Or I help them practice centering prayer where I give them a word and I say, "Hey, our word today as you're breathing. Your word today is beloved So just take a moment right now Put one hand on your chest one right here It's a little awkward <laughs> students giggle too Really my belly But once we you just settle just try just breathe in and it should expand your diaphragm and then blow out the candle and focus on the word beloved There's your 15 seconds of breathing. Normally I would do that I start out maybe 3 to 5 minutes with a student and work up with them. Um We talk a lot about uh the value and practice of Sabbath with our students. We try to create spaces for them to experience rest. Sabbath is a beautiful day where 
we get to reorder our lives around the center of Jesus. And if they're described as busy and overscheduled and anxious and super stressed and depressed, like, of all people, we all need this, but adolescents need a day to reorder their lives around Jesus. They need to reorient their story with God's story. And whenever I tell students, like, hey, take a day, they look at me like I asked them to switch schools during their senior year. Mm -hmm. Like, take what day? Let me tell you my schedule. You know when I wake up? You know that this year I have zero hour? Do you know that I not only have volleyball, but I have club volleyball at the same time? What time? What space? But we push, we try to push against the schedules, partner with parents and say, take some time to actually practice Sabbath, where you celebrate and you feast and you do things that bring you joy and you recalibrate your life around <coughs> the awe and wonder of Jesus. There's a teacher at Holland Christian his name is Keith. I don't know his last name. What's his last name? Blystra. Keith Blystra. was supposed to be sitting right there. Um, Keith, every Friday, has a Shabbat meal with his students in his class. Carves out about 15 minutes of time. They sign up to bring in different um, food items that they can share. And they practice the art of Sabbath together in the classroom. They rearrange the tables. And I was talking to him about it last night, and he said, you know, the beautiful thing is, is our students in my class know that Friday's coming. No matter how stressed they are, no matter what tests they have, how things are going on social media, whether it's affirmation or devastation, they know that there's going to be a 15-minute space where they can see one another, and reorient their lives and practice Shabbat and Shalom with each other. And that's beautiful. Yeah, it's probably a sacrifice, 15 minutes of a class hour, but what might that look like in every class where there was anticipation of how they were going to receive the presence of God? Because over time, practicing the Shabbat meal with Keith is, is going to provide a rhythm and a routine to experience that. So you have this card. I want to talk about rhythms and routines and, and maybe collaborate on what this could look like. This is a picture of a trellis. A trellis is a support structure that enables plants. Once again, me and him didn't collaborate, but I am digging this. <laughs> A trellis is a support structure that enables plants such as a grapevine to get off the ground and grow upward and become fruitful. A trellis organizes a unique combinations of spiritual practices and a structure, into a structure that enables us to encounter God in everything that we do. So this trellis, also known as a rule of life if you've heard of that, helps us 
organize rhythms, habits, and routines daily, weekly, and monthly so that we can re-center our lives around Jesus. And what I've been doing with students is trying to help them fill out this card of saying, what do you do daily to encounter the presence of God? What do you do weekly? What do you do monthly? And as they fill out these spaces, um, it's not perfect, but I'm seeing students who they're creating routines and habits around encountering Jesus. They're filling their space. It's still crazy busy, but they're filling the space of their lives with opportunities to pause, to listen, to pray, to reflect, to journal. You name it. We connect with God in different and unique ways, um, but we have to build a trellis. We have to build a structure of habits and routines that we step into each day and each week and and each month. Um, Because if we're not intentional... We don't have a choice whether we have a trellis or not. Everyone in here has one. You have routines and structures that you tether your life to. And it's growing you towards something. Every student has habits and routines that they live into each and every day that is growing them towards something. And my hope for students is that the structures would grow them upward and keep them connected to the vine of Jesus. We've been practicing this. I want to share a quick story, and then I want to, I want to have you think through some things that we can share together. Um, there is a 13-year-old girl in our youth group looking for my phone because I'm distracted. I don't know. I thought I did. I was going to read something from my phone over here. Um, the reality of loneliness really hit her last year as a seventh grader, where she was slowly being ghosted by her friends, and she saw it unfold on Instagram where her friend group that she had had for many years uh, started just doing stuff without her. One friend, uh, one even even tagged her in it just to prove the point that, hey, you're not with us anymore. And she was devastated. And this year, one of her rhythms, instead of having her cell phone in her room, Her, her other sister, and her parents committed to, starting at 7 p.m., they dock all their phones and charge them in the kitchen. And one of their daily routines as a family is they don't have, like, pocket screens after 7 p.m. And she she said she used to, like, just sit in bed and scroll through Instagram after her homework was done. That was her her routine. That was her habit. That was what she lived into. Um, She took that space now that she didn't have a phone in her room, and she created a space where she just wrote letters to God pretty much daily. Sometimes a little post-it note, sometimes a poem. And her mom texted me her most recent poem that she wrote this week during that daily sacred space. And I want to read it to you. 
So instead of scrolling through Instagram and constantly evaluating whether she was accepted or not, she spent time writing this poem. Because one day, we will look straight into the eyes of Jesus Christ. And suddenly, money, popularity, and earthly possessions will be nothing but loss. On this day, the only thing worthy of his attention will be the way that we loved. We will know him as a close and loyal friend. Or will we know him as a distant stranger? The gospel is so urgent. Jesus is to know beauty, adventure, freedom, love, and joy. We know Jesus intimately, which is the most valuable gift one could attain on this earth. Don't wait any longer. Start living now. This is a 13-year-old girl who spent most of last year devastated during her evening routine because she was reminded of how she didn't belong. But she created space to encounter the presence of God. And this is what she's doing. And she does it regularly. Now every student's not doing that, but I'm wondering and I'm curious of amidst the busy schedules how we can help students carve out time to embrace the presence that's already there. And as people who advocate for young people, we can't take a student anywhere that we, are, we haven't already been. We can give them more and more knowledge, but incarnational educators step into the same space and have conversations of your daily trellis, your weekly trellis, and your monthly actions towards God. Much like the Shabbat Sabbath meal, where Keith doesn't say, hey, Sabbath is a really good idea. He says, hey, here's what it looks like to practice. And I want to see you, and I want to eat with you, and I want to feast with you. I want to celebrate with you. Let's do that on Fridays. It's beautiful. So we have a few minutes left. Um, I want to encourage you to individually do this. It took my brain exploding and being stuck in a hospital bed for 27 days to move from knowing about a rule of life, knowing about... How many in here have heard of spiritual practices before? Okay, 70%. That's pretty good. I've heard about doing disciplines and connecting with Jesus, but I didn't practice them. And so, on an individual level, practice these. But also, in your schools, I want you to take a moment and write a few ideas of what, either in the classroom or in your school, what are some daily, weekly, and monthly routines, rhythms, and habits that could be present where you're inviting the presence of God into that space and it becomes a place of routine and engagement. Take a few minutes and do that, and then I'd love to, you can even collaborate with some people sitting next to you.